Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 581 of the podcast and it is Friday the 22nd of October 2021 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Jessica Artemisia Matthew about business models around NFTs. Yes, this is a futurist show, although it's not futurist anymore, it is very current. I'm also adding a longer segment after the interview with some of my reflections on what we discussed as I got lots of new ideas, some pennies dropped, so I hope it does the same for you. So for sure, this is an awareness episode. NFTs are still an emerging area, an emerging technology and an emerging business model for creatives. So there will be language you don't necessarily understand and terms that are a bit confusing. And that's okay. (laughs) I do ask Jessica to define some of them. But every domain has a language to learn in order to become comfortable with it. If you're new to (laughs) self-publishing, you're probably confused by all the things we say and the different companies we work for. For example, I talked to an author the other week. She didn't know what perma-free was. She didn't know, she'd never heard of Kickstarter or the EPUB format or Draft2Digital or Kobo, let alone NFTs (laughs) for books. So what you've got to think is every domain has their language, you have to learn the language, and then you understand how things work. So, uh, and again, I watched a a documentary on the physics of bubbles the other week. It was great and I learned loads of amazing things, but it was about physics. <laughs> and so there were lots of terms that I'm not familiar with. And uh, for example, I read the Financial Times in order to keep refreshing my knowledge on how financial language works. A lot of these domains use different words. And unless you understand that, you, you won't feel natural in the environment. So don't be frustrated. The language of blockchain and NFT is bound to be confusing at first. So I'm going to keep doing these discussions because when you listen to the conversations, the meaning slowly becomes clear and you make connections and understanding emerges from this environment. And you will have an aha moment at some point around blockchain if you haven't already. (laughs) I I had one, I guess, a couple of years, 18 months ago, and then I had uh, another one recently and I'm definitely having some aha moments but it takes some time as you learn more. I should also say that I am not an expert at this area but I fully intend to become one. (laughs) But of course, this is how my site and my podcast has always been. If you've been following me since I started in December 2008, which you probably haven't, <laughs> so I only started this blog, thecreativepen.com, in December 2008 and this podcast in March 2009. And you will know how much has changed since then and how much we've all had to learn as the publishing industry and the internet has changed. And it is kind of scary, (laughs) but it's also incredibly exciting. And as things move on, uh, ways emerge for us to learn together and put things into practice. So yeah, consider me an enthusiastic newbie (laughs) at this stage. And it's likely also that I'm getting things wrong. And it's also likely that things are going to change. It's all about beginner's mind at this point. And beginner's mind is knowing that you know nothing and not to make pronouncements that you've heard on Twitter (laughs) or some kind of meme uh, that you haven't actually researched yourself. So don't get too technical or bogged down in the weeds of blockchain. You don't need to know how to program the internet to use Amazon KDP to publish an ebook or a print book. You don't need to know how PayPal works behind the scenes to send money across the world. The same is true of NFTs, and it will only become easier as new applications are built on top of blockchains. And in fact, I've got a couple more interviews coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah, Between now and the beginning of 2022, you're going to be like, yes, I finally understand all this because I'm going to keep sharing with you. So I have already done a couple of interviews on this topic. Just go to thecreativepen.com forward slash future 
to find them all grouped together in one place, as well as other episodes around AI and auto-narration and um, writing with AI and much more. Also, a big thank you to my patrons whose financial support enables me to spend this extra time on all of these in between episodes. If you find them useful, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash the creative pen or for a one-off donation you can use buymeacoffee.com forward slash the creative pen. Okay, let's get into the interview with Jessica, which is about 40 minutes long, and then I will return afterwards with some more thoughts related to our discussion. Jessica Artemisia Matthew is a sci-fi fantasy author and digital marketing agency owner. She's also the creator of The Sovereignty, which uses NFTs on blockchain as a new form of storytelling, community and income. So welcome, Jessica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, I'm excited to talk about this. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and your background in writing and publishing. Okay, well, sure. So writing, I started when I was like, as soon as I could read and write, I've been a fantasy um, nerd my entire life. And I've always dreamed of being a fantasy author. But I didn't start really, really, really writing until about 10 years ago, but I still didn't share. And then because I never really felt that it made sense to try to pursue it professionally, because the business models at the time you could be a you know a best selling author and still need a day job and for me that just wasn't like i didn't have enough energy honestly to be a best selling author and have a day job like a full time job it just wasn't realistic for me so i did end up starting to take writing very seriously a couple of years ago anyway because it's a passion it's kind of just like in my soul and i had to let it i had to try it i started actually getting published but the problem remained. So I decided to dive into marketing, um, digital marketing, to find an alternative business model. And that's how I ended up getting into NFTs. So you said talking about getting published and marketing. So is that uh, traditional publishing and book marketing or other forms? So I did get traditionally published. And I also had some interest from a really big age agency in LA for a manuscript I was working on. Uh, but I still just, I, I didn't, I still didn't feel that the publishing industry was right for me. And the marketing that I had been doing previously, I've been doing marketing since 2005, but it wasn't really focused on digital marketing. So I started digital learning, digital marketing in a general marketing in a general sense to understand the industry more deeply. And I did that for the purpose of finding a, a new business model for authors yeah, it's, it, I think it's really interesting and in mentioning that sort of publishing wasn't really a good fit and feeling like it's strange. I mean, I often feel that some authors, us included, have, have perhaps more in common with the tech industry than mm. we do with the publishing industry, even though product comes out of a book manuscript, I feel like there is quite a big difference between some of the people in the traditional industry and some authors, and then authors who are more comfortable with technology. Do you think that's the basis of why you were feeling that way? It's just your interest was much more developed in a way. I think so. I, I The tech is okay for me. I feel very like, you know, native in the digital environment and, and marketing. I just didn't think that it was a good business model. For me, a good business model means like, you know, you do it and you make a lot of money. <laughs> that's what it means. So if I do it and I do it well and I'm successful and I still don't make a lot of money, to me, that's just not a good business model. For me, people have different ways that they value things as or like judge things as good or not good. For me, I mean, if I like, I wanted to make a hundred thousand, a hundred fifty thousand, being a full time author, or why not a million or fifty million? You know, I mean, an entrepreneur can start a business and make five million or fifty million. A writer who contributes enormously to the culture and the economy might might only make 35,000 if if they're lucky if they're a best best selling author and that's not to say that making less is, is somehow inferior i just for me i don't i just don't have the energy to be an author 
and contribute that way and also feed myself and put a roof over my head and take care of all my other responsibilities. I just couldn't balance that, you know? Mm. So I wanted to find a different way. No, I love that. And we love ambition on this show. So um, (laughs) we don't mind talking about money. So that's brilliant. Well, you've mentioned business models a couple of times. Let's start on the kind of broad level of of going through the business models that you're talking about, and then we can get down into the detail of what you're doing specifically. So what are the different business models? So there are actually infinite possibilities, and it's really open to the innovation and creativity of anybody who comes to the blockchain to start a business. There are different blockchains, of course, and they have their different communities and their different ways of doing things. Ethereum is the most popular right now. It's kind of like the most established blockchain and the biggest community, but it has really high gas. So you, and it's a problem. It's like you might have a $70 transaction fee. So that limits the type of the model that you would use. But a few of the popular ones are Punk's Comics, a comic book that's released on the blockchain. And there, I think there are maybe a few thousand maybe in existence and they're all minted and you can buy them as an NFT. There's Forgotten Runes Wizard Cult, which is really popular. And it's like a D&D Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing, community lore building. And that was really popular. It's considered a blue chip. Uh, Punk's comic is considered a blue chip too. So let's see. Forgotten Runes Wizard Cult was really fun because it actually involved the community in the writing. And then there's Ether Poems, which are on-chain poetry. And they were just literally minted on the blockchain and then on Solana, there's uh, I'm actually part of an, another project besides the one I started, which is called Cyba Gang, and we're minting um, in October, end of October, early November. And I'm writing a manga for it, and so I'm a partner in the project. I get um, a percentage of the drop, which might be close to 2.6 million dollars. So I get a percentage of that, and that's what's exciting about being a creative or writer on the blockchain is that there's just massive opportunity. And then there's Gloompunk, which is writing a story with community-directed lore, and Soul Gods, which is also doing lore. So you can be a writer on a project that's based on art, or you can partner with an artist or with AI to create art that represents your story, or you can just straight up mint your story. So there's a lot of different ways to do that. And on the different blockchains, there's going to be different options based on what kind of technology has been developed already for that. Okay. That is, there's lots of exciting things there. We've got to (laughs) circle back and do some, uh, what some words mean. So um, let's, I mean, I've done quite a few episodes on NFTs and blockchain now, but I know people are still struggling. So how do you explain what is a blockchain and Mm -hmm. what is an NFT to non-technical people? Sure. Yeah. So I had to figure that out too. And depending on how you talk about it, it's pretty simple, actually. A blockchain is a digital ledger, right? It records transactions and it's distributed to hundreds or thousands of different nodes where the data is stored. And that makes it really, really, really hard to falsify. You can't go back and change it. So it creates a kind of trust in the digital world because you you can't change, you can't alter the data. And it's also distributed and decentralized. So no one person controls the data and it's public. So everyone can see all of the data. So that's the blockchain. That's the basics of blockchain, um, the blockchain concept. An NFT is a digital asset that's recorded on that blockchain. So it can be considered the original of an art piece. So for example, if you mint your book uh, or a chapter or a character or a scene on the blockchain, that can be proven is yours because the record is public and unchangeable. So it's like being the creator of the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is like, you know, it's infinitely copied, but there's only one Mona Lisa. And that kind of provenance is really important. And that and the blockchain creates that ability to find out the provenance of a digital asset. Mm. Make sense? Yes. Well, it makes sense to me, but I, I know often people need to hear it multiple times as well yeah. for the idea to sort of 
drop. Well, let's use the word drop. So you mentioned there minting and Mm -hmm. the word drop. So what do those things mean? So a mint to mint an NFT is to basically just create a record of it on the blockchain. And the drop? To make it known or public. So make to make it available for sale. Yeah. So it's basically when like when we publish a book, it's like the day we publish a book and, and press publish, it's the same as minting and it's the day we drop. It's the yep. it's just different language, isn't it, for a different yep. community? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it comes out of the cryptocurrency world. So, you know, minting, it's like a coin. You mint, you mint a penny or you mint a coin, like minting it is the process of creating an actual coin. So they took that language from creating currency, like hard, hard currency to creating digital currency. And now it's minting on the blockchain, the digital assets. Then I think this is the next question because Mm -hmm. many authors are uncomfortable with digital wallets, with cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. you know, people, most people will have heard of Bitcoin now, probably, you know, Ether as a Mm -hmm. currency, let alone a a blockchain. And there's lots of, um, there are, let's face it, lots of scams out there. There are lots of good things, but people have a lot of doubt around crypto. So Mm -hmm. what um, do people need to know programming? Do they need to know, um, do they need to have a wallet? Do they need to have cryptocurrency like Ether in order to do NFTs? Yeah. So you definitely do not have to have any technical background at all. I do think having a basic understanding of best practices for security are important, but if you follow them, you know, there's very, very low chance of getting scammed. But I mean, it's possible. So one of the things you do is you have a cold wallet, which is where you store it offline, or you don't keep your valuable assets in a wallet that you use for transactions. So there's just little like basic good practices that you can do. And it's pretty simple. Most people don't have a problem. And when you follow the best practices, you don't have to worry. But you do right now, you do need to have a wallet with like Ethereum or Solana or Wax or Tezos in it. Those are all different blockchains that are all being used for NFTs right now. Mm. Um, and But they're really easy to set up. So... Yeah. And I think what's happening, I mean, I know as we record this, it's before Frankfurt Book Fair and at Frankfurt, I know there's a couple of new platforms launching where, mm-hmm. within the publishing industry. So I think what's going to happen, and of course, um, PayPal is going to be doing yeah. crypto, Shopify and eBay. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different main mainstream sites that are going to be offering these options. So I almost feel like we like in 2022 what we might see is people doing these without the need it might be almost hidden like for example we no one needs to be able to program to format an ebook and upload it onto amazon you right. know and you don't need to know http or you don't need to know any kind of internet-y techie stuff and i feel that yeah. the same way with nfts and blockchain what do you think I agree completely. Yeah, they're definitely making a streamlined process where it's really low barriers to really low barrier to entry to make it easy for everybody and secure. I I do think that there is going to be a lot more opportunity if you do know the basics of the tech. I mean, it's really exciting and it takes some getting used to, but it's really really fun. And if you limit yourself to the platforms of other people, you know, there's a, there's a huge price to that. There's a Mm. huge price. Well, in that case if people, because I'm with you and I almost feel like uh, I did getting into eBooks in 2008, 2009 Mm -hmm. and getting into podcasting in 2009, which was uh, not many people doing this, but Mm -hmm. you can see the way things are going. Some of the early people uh, did well. And of course, Mm -hmm. I think books will be quite different to the art space where the (laughs) valuations are massive but you've talked about some of those options if people want to get started do you recommend any place to start in getting to know this stuff because I when I look at it I think oh my goodness there are so many options I don't know where to start yeah so I would probably number one join Twitter and join the community and just start talking to people it's a really, really friendly, open, inclusive 
community that's just having a really great time. It's like a great, it's a great global 24 seven party. And that's definitely the place to start. And I probably would, this is going to sound like, oh man, people are going to hate me for this, but probably skip Ethereum. The transaction fees are so ridiculous right now. It's like, it's to me, it's offensive to my soul because it's like exclusive of people, you know, Mm. of small to medium sized businesses that are not like blue chip, whale backed. Whale is like a really big investor, not venture capital backed. So Ethereum's pretty like, you know, hoity toity right now. You have to have a lot of money to be able to trade on that platform, on that blockchain. But Solana is excellent. And it's a small and growing community. Now is really a great time to get into it. There's a ton of lore based projects coming out. And you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to have art. Like I sold one of a chapter of my book. I didn't even have the book, um, like the rest of the book out yet. I sold it for like $400, $450, just a chapter of my book. And because the writing, if someone reads it and they're like, oh, this is good, this is going to be big, they're investing in it and they become an owner of it. And then of course you always get royalties anytime that's sold. And then when they become an owner, then they also have a, an incentive to spread the word about your book. So then they become a collaborator in building your business and your community. When they own pieces of your work, then they become your uh, marketing. They can become your marketing team also because they're invested in making their investment in your book successful because then Hmm. they can sell, resell at a profit. Right. So let's get into the detail of what you're doing then. So you mentioned a few business models. You mentioned they're putting a chapter on Solana. So how, what are you doing? Tell us a bit more about what, how you're putting things together right now. Okay. Okay. So real quick, I, I actually put it on um, Ethereum like in June and I just don't recommend, I just don't recommend Ethereum anymore. I have, all my whole project right now is on Ethereum and we're moving it to Solana. Right, But um, basically what I'm doing is a completely different way for fans to be um, involved in the experience and the generation of value of a creative IP project, which is what I have, my book, which is the Sovereignty Series. And there's my aspect, and then I'll get into a little bit more about how there's community world building too. So my book has different characters. It has a map. It has a whole world. And all the races can be created through AI. And each one can be sold as a character that people can create fan fiction from. And they can um, sell that fan fiction. And then I get a percentage of it. So the fans can become co-creators in my world by buying NFTs that give them the right to write the the right to write hmm. related fiction, not using my characters but using the platform of like the environment, the world. So I have my IP, which I'm building and people buy pieces of it. It's actually free to read. It's free to, to anyone, for anyone to read the actual story. Anyone can read it. It's available for free on Medium. But if you want to join the community and if you believe in it as a project that is going to you know, be big one day, you want to get a piece, then you join the community. You also don't have to buy anything to join the community. I really want it to be as inclusive as possible. And then people can just decide for themselves what level of ownership they want to have of the project. Like what, what level of in, you know, like as, as we say in the NFT community, aping in, like we ape into a project. So what level they want to ape in. So I'm building my platform that way, but it's also a co-creative a uh, world building tabletop role playing game. <laughs> and <laughs> cool. um, there's a lot about it. It's like, I mean, I, I almost feel like, you know, like it's a massive info dump. I feel like in a couple of years, there's going to be other reference points and it won't be so like info dumpy. But yeah, so we ha- we're working on the tabletop role playing game. It's in progress. So actually, people can. Cr- create, uh, take the NFT elements, which I call basically stems, but we might call them like seeds or whatever. They're inspiration, they're characters, they're they're scenes, they're different aspects. And then people get together and create on a map and do a co-creative scene storytelling together. So fans become characters 
in the world and they co-create a story together in the world using the inspiration and elements of the world that I've offered through NFTs, which they own. Mm. So it's very community-centered, your project. Yes, very, very much so. Right. So there's ownership almost in a collective world. Mm -hmm. But what is the situation with copyright and NFTs? Right. So, I mean, the same copyright applies in terms of my writing. Like no one else can sell it. No one else can use my characters. If they do, I can sue them just like in any, in any other case. But in the, the model that I'm building, it's built in that I get royalties from people using elements of what I create. So like, let's say I create a race of people, this group of people called the, the high-pitched screech. And you just imagine somebody screeching and that's what their, that's their name. And they live in the pits of madness. And I have all these portraits of these high pitched screeches that uh, I've created with you, um, created using AI and I can sell each individual as a character that somebody else can then take and tell that story and use it within my system. And if they do that, and if they create value that, that that character becomes valuable and is resold or whatever, and any NFTs that they create relating to that character or that story that they've written in my world, I get a royalty on. And I do, I love this is the smart contract idea, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you can create, you can basically code a contract, right? And mm-hmm. well, let's not say code, it doesn't have to be that technical. <laughs> the, the, the contract, the smart contract means you'll get a percentage down the line. And if people want to sell mm-hmm. their stake or their NFT, you mm-hmm. get a percentage. Th- mm-hmm. This is, this really is game changing for publishing. But yep. I'm, I'm fascinated with this community idea because I think, originally like you mentioned I sold a chapter of a book on ethereum blockchain in my head I think that's what I have been thinking and what many authors have been thinking which is okay I'll sell five limited edition copies of my ebook each one will have its own image in and there'll be a video that goes Mm -hmm. with it so that's Mm -hmm. to me that's like a like another um, just publishing in another format Mm -hmm. that people can sell and I still think that's completely fine Mm -hmm. but it's not as ambitious as what you're talking about which is essentially creating this massive world and having Mm -hmm. lots of creators within it would that be right yeah yeah definitely the other thing too it's not just for me it's also a platform for others so like let's say another fantasy author just doesn't want to build the whole system the whole platform of community and really utilizing Web3 in a way that's kind of the exciting way of using it to me. I mean, I find it really exciting. They can buy what I call a publishing rights avatar in my world. And for only like 10%, they can just create as much as they want. They can create their own map, their own world. And then the only royalties that go to me within the system are 10% of their world that they generate, mm. the 10% of the uh, money that they generate in their world, which is different from 30% of like Amazon. Uh, royalties that Amazon takes. Basically, it's like an agent takes 10% of what sells for an author. So yeah. And uh, okay, so I get it. You're building more like a a platform. So the Mm -hmm. sovereignty is more Mm -hmm. like a platform. Mm -hmm. There are books as part of it. Mm -hmm. But there's also like you said, all these characters. Oh, just tell us how are you generating the AI art characters? Because I find that also fascinating. Yeah. So I use Art breeder, and I have a video on YouTube that shows you how I do it. Like, uh, I don't leave any of my tricks off the table. I love it when people make really beautiful art. And there's also other systems that you can use that are text based. Called it's called VQGAN, uh, generative adversary. Never mind. <laughs> I, <won't> be- <laughs> I have talked about generative adversarial <laughs> okay. networks before. Don't worry. But yeah, I, okay. I think what I like about this is that it's a combination of lots of different technologies. Like you mentioned Web3. What do you think Web3 means? Yeah. So Web1 came about in the like mid to late 90s with websites. And that was the introduction of the internet to the world. That's Web 1.0. And Web 2.0 is social media, where we all got online and started being social and connecting with each other. Web 3.0 
is, I mean, with the advent of assets, digital assets on the blockchain, you can buy and sell and create whole business systems and own things online. And that's web 3.0 is the financial and asset aspect, ownership aspect of the Mm. internet. I wonder, I mean, I think there's lots of aspects of Web3, but it's almost like the static website and then the mobile website and now the blockchain ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You know, that could yep. be another way or you know, people are all putting cryptocurrency as a Web3 idea, metaverse, you know, doing VR and AR is also Web3. I think mm-hmm. it, we're just moving into this next almost 20 year phase, I think, um, the mobile revolution was sort of 2007 mm-hmm. so we're moved 15 years in and it, let's be fair it's probably going to take five years before all yeah. of this is mainstream right right definitely yeah yeah so we're at very early stages okay there's still there's so many things we could get into I hope yeah. people are, are being in, inspired um <laughs> by this so let's can we tackle the ecological environmental issues that people have a lot of people have heard that there's environmental issues with blockchain yeah so I I mean I hear that a lot too I think it's really important to always understand where you know the information you're coming you're getting is coming from and who's saying it and why they might be saying it. I think it's definitely not something that isn't true, like blockchain, especially proof of work blockchain, not proof of stake, but proof of work like Bitcoin and the way that Ethereum is right now, although that's changing to proof of stake, which will then be like 99.99% better than it is now ecologically. But understanding that there are, the blockchain represents a very serious threat to the way that the political economy structure of basically um, the world as it is right now. So the people who are really invested in that and who who are stakeholders in that system are going to, you know, not want the mass adoption because it really threatens the their power. And they tend to own a lot of the uh, media outlets. They're the people really in power. And so there's a lot of information out there and we call it like FUD, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And um, the same, so if someone were to take the same criticism of the ecological impact and level it at the publishing industry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Book pulping. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Bitcoin, for example, which is the biggest offender, which has nothing at all to do with NFTs, consumes about 0.25% of the global energy. So it's a really small percentage. And, you know, things like fashion, book publishing, Amazon, a lot of people sell on Amazon, but I mean, the, the, the environmental impact of Amazon is much higher yeah, I mean, pack, just pa- packaging, for example, packaging yeah. is, is a big deal. No, I, I'm with you. I think that there are some issues that are being solved. So, for example, you mentioned Solana instead of Ethereum mm-hmm. and Ethereum right. instead of Bitcoin. It's almost like with every iteration, mm-hmm. things are getting better and easier. And like you said, cheaper, like you mentioned gas fees, and that's like a transaction right. fee that you mm-hmm. have to pay. And so what we don't want to do on this is to go into massive massive detail on everything because as we said it is changing right but and I do want to come back to the people okay so I got I got a glimpse of your ambitious world uh community but the big question is so Mm -hmm. where are these people I mean we all struggle to find readers for a blooming ebook let alone someone who wants to buy an AI generated character in a new world so how are you finding people to to join And do you think that there's going to be enough people to sustain all of this? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm able to scale step by step. I'm taking small steps because that really builds a strong foundation. But also, I mean, I've already sold in my collection something like, oh yeah, $5,617. I mean, approximately. So that's in the past like four and a half months coming from no audience, like starting from zero. And that's how much I've sold, which is more than most people with zero audience 
never um, having published like a book book, I had published a story can make in right away, which is a good start. It's a good start for me. Mm. So far, so good. But also with that, one of the problems with, I think that with writing and selling a story is that there has to be demand for it in order for people to buy it, but they have to read it in order to, ha- to want to, in order to like it and therefore have demand. So demand is created by desire. Desire is created by kind of like knowledge of the book, right? So that's always been a problem. How do you get people to want a book they've never read? They want to buy a book they've never read. So a chapter works or you make the writing free and then create this really amazing community experience, which is what, for example, Gloom Punks, which is on Solana, they're doing a story, Soul Gods and Cyber Gang. So Cyber Gang is set to, to sell a bunch of these generated avatars and it could be a drop of like $2.6 million. And then they're writing a manga to go with that, to, to continue creating the community. So writers can partner with artists and, you know, one gets a million dollars and the other gets a million dollars. So, and then you have to have the developing team and it, it is a team effort and it's a community effort. And that's what makes it amazing and fun. The other thing too, is you don't have to build it all yourself. Like for Cybergang, I'm not building any of that. I am just writing the manga. I'm just the writer for it. And I don't have to worry about all that. I can just write and be creative and I don't have to do it full time, but I get a percent. And that's what's exciting for authors. Like you could become a lore master for a project, do that part-time, make um, a considerable amount of money and also be writing and building your audience in the Web3 world. If you have 10,000 people reading your writing in a, another project that's really popular, then they're also going to be interested in your writing outside of that. So it's a one way to build an audience. And I mean, you don't have to make your writing free, but I, I personally, I like that because it enables people to want to read it and know if they like it and be a part of the the whole IP system. Mm. Yeah, well I think this is another thing the the idea of smart contracts enables this collaboration this percentage that you talked about. This is very very hard at the moment mm-hmm. in in the normal in inverted commas world, mm-hmm. you know, for to give a percentage of revenue and resale to anyone else. It's practically impossible yeah. <laughs> because there are humans who have to actually put that contract through and I mean mm-hmm. I I have to pay some of my co-writers and it's a right pain in the neck. Whereas with the smart contracts, it, it happens automatically. So it, yep. I think this, I want authors listening, you have to think much bigger around how you can collaborate. It's going to be much easier to mm-hmm. say, right, for example, uh, just a, an, a, com- a completely different idea. But like people ask me all the time to do various things. And most of the time I don't have the bandwidth or whatever. But if someone says, could you do this or lend your voice to this audiobook, for example, and you can have a percentage of of the drop, then I'm far more likely to say yes to that as a possibility. So I think what we're going to be seeing is, is, as you said, writers doing things for percentages for bigger names and universe owners, like Mm -hmm. what you're aiming to build and um, collaborative worlds. I think this is going to be huge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's the community aspect. We're not doing it alone and then waiting for somebody else to sell our work for us. You know, we're out there and we're with our fans and it's a co-creative collaborative, co-creative and collaborative. I mean, it, it could be, but it's, it's collaborative in the sense that they become owners with you. It's been called as an ownership economy, meaning that your fans, if they own a piece of your work, um, are part of it with you. And then they have an incentive to also share your work with their friends, because the more that they generate value and make your project high value, the more they also get out of it. It's like they're the stockholders of your book. Mm, or your world or your, yeah. and again, it doesn't have to be a book. It could be an audio yeah. project. It could be, yes. you know, so yeah, I think this is fascinating. Just one other technical question. Sure. You've mentioned Solana and then you mentioned OpenSea. So can you use mm-hmm. the Solana blockchain through OpenSea? Currently, no, they have SolSea. Um, OpenSea is for the um, Ethereum blockchain and also the Polygon blockchain, which is considered a layer two of Ethereum. 
I guess, well, so the question is, if people want to do an NFT on Solana, where do they do that? Ah, okay. Yeah. So there are a variety of options. I wouldn't necessarily be able to recommend any because I haven't personally used them. And a lot of them, they're young and they work. They're great. But I'm not an expert in Solana. I'm I know much more the Ethereum and I'm moving towards Solana for a lot of reasons. But just like kind of a disclaimer, I cannot recommend these places because I haven't personally used them, but I can say what some of them are, which mm-hmm. is um oh geez, I think it's called like Magic Eden or something, and Digital Eyes and Holoplex and Metaplex, if I'm correct, and Soul C. I don't know if they're going to be a good experience. So, <laughs> Well, and again, I think this is really important. I get we said this is a new space. I yeah. mean, so we don't know what's going to happen with the various things. I mean, mm-hmm. the very positive side of a blockchain like Ethereum is it's not going away at this right. point. Whereas yeah. a newer blockchain, I guess to put it in terms there's lots of websites in the dot-com boom. In in the year 2000, mm-hmm. there right. were lots of dot-com websites that disappeared. Mm-hmm. But if you had picked Amazon, mm-hmm. <laughs> you were yeah. all good. So right. I think this is the difficulty now is there is some speculation. But what we're talking about is the principles of what this new ecosystem could look like. Right. I think that, that's exactly. our overarching thing. Yeah. Right. Understanding the conceptual framework for creating a digital business around the IP that you're developing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we mentioned sure. maybe it will be five years before things are more mainstream. Although, I, as I said, there's at Frankfurt Book Fair, which is traditional publishing. There are mm-hmm. NFT platforms launching. But if we think for the next five years, how can independent authors particularly position themselves for success in order to be ready for these new opportunities? Well, I would say the first thing I would do is get on Twitter and just start sharing your work. Let people see how brilliant you are. Let people see what like you're capable of. Let them see how reliable you are. Build a reputation as an author and then let people know you're available as a lore master. And then you can start out in the web three and learning from really amazing developers and project leaders and artists about how to build a successful project while getting paid and not doing all the work yourself. Projects will start reaching out to you, especially if they know that you're available. Lore masters having lore and projects right now is actually the next big step. Everyone was saying it's games. It's not because games are extremely difficult and expensive to make. All the projects now are moving towards lore. And what do they need? Lore masters. So now is the perfect time for writers to jump on, you know, jump in, ape in. The water is really warm. People are super friendly. And also another cool thing. I mean, this is kind of a side note. I have never experienced like tech bro sexism or um, anything like that. People are like, I'm valued as a woman, you know, I'm just valued. There's none of that kind of tech world broiness that you have to worry about um, that I know a lot of people experience. I can't say it's going to be an experience for everybody, but I mean, it's kind of a new culture. And I think that's really exciting. And I want people to recognize, realize how it's like a revolutionary culture as well as a revolutionary technology. And now's the time to jump in, share your work, share your genius, let people know you're available as a lore master find projects you like and mint them, become a, become an NFT owner, learn how the process works. And you're just going to have a really, really great time. Just on law master. Do you mean L O R E? Yeah. So, you, so is that really a fantasy author thing? Well, it's an author thing. So it's the title of the person who creates the narrative IP for a project. There's the artist who um, creates the visual there's the developer who creates the technology, techni- um, like the technical, the, the code. And then there's also a new, like an emerging need that's very urgent right now for people who create a narrative story around the art to create a, an engaged and invested community in order mm. to maintain the value of the NFTs and the art through time, beyond the initial mint. Ah. So, 
it is the it is like you said it's a whole new community and language yeah. and it's like learning it all over again I mean it's when, when people come into self-publishing they're like what do all these words mean and this feels <laughs> like all over again people invent yeah. a language to um put boundaries around a community and so again this is just learning language and uh, inside of it it's not as complicated as I think many people think from the outside so yeah that's that's awesome so where can people find you and everything you do online so so the easiest one is just at Jess Artemisia on Twitter and then my project is called the sovereignty and instead of a y at the end there are two i's it's like a plural from another language that I was inspired by. So it's The Sovereignty on Twitter and then thesovereignty.com. And then Saiba Gang, which is S-A-I-B-A gang.com. And that's um, the same on Twitter and the same um, cybergang.com. And I'm like totally open to connect with people and invite them into the community and help in any way that I can. And if anything I've said is like, too lingo-y or whatever. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I like, I am like swimming in it 24 oh, no, seven. It's great. So. it's great. We have to get used to the language. So it's, it's good to hear, hear you talk about it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jessica. That was great. Thank you so much, Joanna. I really appreciate it. So I hope you found the interview with Jessica interesting and it has made me think about a few things. So I thought I'd talk about them here in this slightly long (laughs) outro section. So firstly, we are in very early days when it comes to NFTs and it is a bit wild westy at the moment. You know what I mean. There are new blockchains emerging all the time. There are new sites and groups of creators coming together. And inevitably, there is also hype and there will also be rip-offs happening. There will be blockchains that don't last. There will be coins that go to nothing. But let's face it, this happens in every arena. It is not just blockchain and crypto that has hype and (laughs) rip-offs. There's plenty of that in lots of domains. There are also environmental issues around some blockchains and some are worse than others. For example, Bitcoin is the worst and there are other proof of work blockchains that um, do have environmental issues. But there are new blockchains that are more environmentally friendly or at least carbon neutral. And I've put a link in the show notes. There are links throughout the whole show notes. If you want to delve deeper, remember you can, well, you can go to thecreativepen.com forward slash future to find this or the creative pen.com forward slash podcast and you'll find all the episodes um, there. But yes, there is a link in the show notes to 15 environmentally sustainable cryptocurrencies. So essentially you you don't have to use one of the worst blockchains. There's also a proposed redesign of Ethereum around proof of stake, which will reduce impact. Again, let's not get too techy, but I'm going to li- link to some of these things. The crypto and NFT community, which also skews younger, are mostly committed to the environment. And if you spend a little time researching this, you will find a lot of people dedicated to changing the infrastructure so it works for the environment as well as creators. So uh, I personally, I think there is so much energy towards making this Uh, good for the environment as well. And I think blockchain um, solutions are going to be used in lots of environmental companies and it will be used for kind of crowdsourcing and getting buy-in into various projects. So please don't just go with... And and I I asked the question and I've been guilty of it too, the sort of, oh, I've heard that blockchain is really bad for the environment. Well, (laughs) blockchain is like the word internet is not one thing it's lots and lots of things and there are lots of different groups who have lots of different angles so yeah just do a little bit of research and uh, that will help also the uh, in the meantime you can use carbon offsets through a site like aerial.is a e-r-i-a-l dot i-s and that is an app and you can use that to offset all of your carbon emissions and that has been used to offset nfts it has an area for nft offset from the latest june release if you've watched the june movie they've got some nft nfts around june as well as famous people like ellen shakira and susan sarandon have all used ariel to offset nft drops 
Plus, if you want to question the ecological impact of blockchain, blockchains, then you have to compare it to the rest of publishing, from the sustainability of ink and paper to printing, shipping, packaging, pulping, the electricity around digital products, as well as the infrastructure that sustains the existing publishing world. It just means stepping back and considering the wider ecosystem rather than jumping on things people have said on Twitter. And I'm not going to mention anything, but there's just been a few things going around. And I'm like, oh, I just I just don't want to get involved in this. I'm going to tell you stuff and try and research it and try and write it all down because... As ever, social media is a great place for people just to put a couple of lines of, oh, it's all bad, write it all off. <laughs> but we don't want to do that. Yes, so despite the issues, don't write it all off. Jessica mentioned FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt. And I have certainly seen that in the author community and the publishing community over and over again since 2008 when I came in, especially when it comes to technological innovation or changes that take people outside their comfort zone. I mean, even now, (laughs) I was on a radio show last week and there was a question about the stigma of self-publishing. And in my mind, I was like, really? Are we here again? This is like a decade old, this discussion. (laughs) Yeah, so the antidote to any of this is to learn more about the area so you can have a conversation from a more knowledgeable perspective. That's what I'm trying to lead you into through these various conversations and soon through my own experience as I am still intending to drop my own NFT before the end of 2021. Haven't still decided on the exact details, but that's why I'm talking to all these people. (laughs) The opportunities within the NFT space are expanding and I love Jessica's ambition. There are going to be a lot of possibilities emerging for writers. Just to recap, she mentioned a few. The first one is release your book or chapters of a book as an NFT. And I just saw uh, a guy on Twitter who's releasing highlights. So sort of, um, he said, sort of consider them digital bookmarks or something like that. I'll link to it in the notes. But this release your book or your chapters, your words basically as an NFT. This is the most standard application of what we already do as authors and what I'm intending to do with Tomb of Relics. It's going to be one NFT. I mean, there might be a couple of different ones, but it'll be one drop. There's no community aspect. It's a way for fans who believe in the value of your work to own a digital asset and resell it as they like. So I'm going to most likely it will be the ebook with unique images. So it will be a photo of my hand edits on the original manuscript. And if I say I do five ebooks, then each of the five will have, you know, one of five, two of five, three of five, etc. I'm also now, after the interview with Jessica, I've been playing with the AI generation of art around a particular character. Uh, I have this character, the Black Anchorite, who ages in a pretty cool way. So I've got an idea around using um, generative adversarial networks to do something that just makes me geek out big time. <laughs> We haven't got time to get into the AI stuff on this show, but uh, we'll be talking about that again for sure. There might also be a business model around accumulating special NFTs and then leasing them or having a virtual bookstore somewhere like Decentraland, which, you know, go and have a look at Decentraland. It's pretty interesting where you could resell or lease based around a metaverse community. And I see this like I am essentially taking a risk with this NFT drop. But I see it as, I mean, this could potentially be the most valuable NFT I ever have. If you if you believe in me as a creator, you might be interested in it because it will be my first ever one. It will be my first one with AI. It's going to be, it's going to be a real first. So that's why I'm struggling with it, to be honest, because I feel like it's pretty important. <laughs> I feel like it's important. And I feel like it's going to be something I look back on and value uh, because of so many reasons. So yeah, that's the first model is release your book or chapters as an NFT. Second one is create a community based on your world or other aspects of your intellectual property. This could be fiction or nonfiction. Jessica has talked about fiction in this example. Create NFTs within that community world. Uh, Basically smart contracts that have various rights attached. 
So Jessica mentioned uh, NFTs of characters and the right to write within the world, write with an R and write with a W, uh, which I can see the application for those with larger shared worlds where people already write in them. If you are part of a co-writing group or you're writing in a world or you manage a world, this is very interesting. Have a look at Cybergang, which she mentioned, S-A-I-B-A-Gang.com. There's a law button uh, with a description of the world. So I'll just read the first bit. It is the year 2167 in Winter Moon City. And then you can get into information about the world and the characters. Then there's a roadmap of development and how they will do the drops. So you could collaborate and create something as big as that, or indeed any kind of community model. Uh, in the nonfiction space, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, launched VFriends earlier this year, and which uses NFTs as access to a community and also as tickets to his events. Uh, he recently announced VCon 2022, the world's first NFT ticketed conference, the first of its kind multi-day event held specifically for an audience of 10,255 vFriend token holders, a real-life demonstration of NFT smart contract technology in action. If you like building community, then this model is interesting. I personally, (laughs) I don't want to build something like this. Uh, For me, it's always about scalability and how I want to spend my time. And you can have a limited contract. It doesn't have to be like forever for the life of copyright. It could be that you can... So um, in fact, I heard Gary say that the VFriends token for this event has, I think, a three-year contract. So as in he has essentially promised to do three years worth of live events. But why he wants to do it is to create more of a community around his work. So very interesting. Then the third thing that Jessica mentioned is becoming a writer for NFT projects or playing some role in an NFT project. So you would collaborate with other creators around building an ongoing narrative around words and images and communities and you'll receive a percentage of the drop or a percentage of royalties I guess and or a percentage of royalties and resale going forward and I see this overlapping with the gaming episode I did with Edwin McRae in episode 571 when he talked about how many writers are needed as the gaming industry expands. And of course, there are plenty of gaming companies now building on blockchain. So that is another angle. This could also be the thing where you could um, organise these things for people and take a percentage. You could, um, if if you're an editor or a cover designer, you could move some of your contracts into smart contracts in this type of space and get percentage of resale. So that's interesting too. This could actually make author services uh, pay for the long term. So cover designers, for example, maybe instead of taking, you could have an option instead of taking an upfront fee, you could take a percentage of drop and resale in a smart contract that lasts X amount of time. This is also the way that we're going to see uh, rights contracts in the future anyway. So yeah, this is just a tiny glimpse of what could be possible with a blockchain ecosystem. Smart contracts will allow for so much more collaboration than we do right now. They make it easy to split payments automatically without having to manually do everything. Plus, they make micropayments more practical. So there are some great ideas here and, of course, more to come. But you don't have to jump into anything. So don't do anything. (laughs) Just wait. Spend some time learning and opening your mind to possibilities, which is kind of what I've been doing recently. Think back to the dot-com boom. If you still have doubts, think back to the dot-com boom and bust and the internet craziness around the year 2000. You might, if you were, uh, I I was 25 in the year 2000. So I guess if you're similar to my age or older or maybe a bit younger, essentially if you're in your 40s, you remember the world pre-internet and you remember doing business pre-internet. It was very, very different, right? But Amazon was founded in 1994. Google in 1998, Facebook in 2004, YouTube was founded in 2005 and it was silly cat videos for years. I remember seeing early YouTube videos and going, oh my, that's so ridiculous. What's going on there? I mean, why would anyone watch that? (laughs) 
And uh, I mean, obviously, it's, uh, it was years before people took some of this stuff seriously. And in fact, I mentioned on the last show, digital publishing, when those of us early adopters were reading ebooks and uh, sort of doing podcasting, even back in when I started podcasting 2009, uh, it didn't really take off until 2014, 2016 was when the money started coming in. And now, obviously, podcasting is huge. So don't write things off just because they are not mature yet. We're just in these early days. Consider what opportunities will arise in a new ecosystem built on blockchain technology. You might not understand it all yet, but keep an open mind. And as ever, I will attempt (laughs) to step in and make lots of mistakes and share them along the way so you don't have to. So this is why I've kind of feel like I'm recommitting to this show and to the creative pen and the creative futures because I do see this as this is another decade of work. This is another decade of experimentation, of changing, of of doing all these things. But regardless of technology, it comes down to the same things. And in fact, I'm probably more excited about this because when I got into publishing back in 2008, uh, I didn't have a backlist. I've created over the last... 15 years really, I've created my backlist of 32, between 32 and 40 books (laughs) Uh, under various names with various people. So if you have a backlist, it was the people who had a backlist that did the best in the early years of ebooks. The romance authors who came in who got all their rights back, for example. And I think once again, you know, starting anew, you can start anew anytime. But the fact is, if you, uh, are someone who has a bit of confidence in this space, has a backlist, this is going to be very interesting. But it comes down to the same things regardless of technology or where you are in the author lifecycle. One, create intellectual property assets. Now remember, I'm yes, that does mean writing books, but it's understanding that writing a book is actually creating intellectual property assets. Number two, consider the best way to license that intellectual property. NFTs and blockchain applications will offer new ways to do this. So once again, say it with me, creatives. <laughs> Don't sign contracts for all formats existing now and to be created for the life of copyright, as that will exclude you from all of this future technology and you'll have to wait for the publisher to do it. And that might be a while. In fact, if you have signed away digital rights or ebook rights or digital audio or audiobook rights, you might not be able to do a lot of these things either. It's all going to depend on the definition of ebook or I think there's going to be some contract negotiations over things like NFTs. But if you are signing contracts at the moment, then try for term limits. So for example, digital for five years or and or specify exclusions for digital special editions slash NFTs, you know, or say, just be very, very specific in contracts. And and a, a good example here is, of course, Brandon Sanderson with his Kickstarter of a way, The Way of Kings. Uh, he kept the rights to special print editions. He might have he might have just said special editions. So he probably has NFT rights. But essentially, he did this Kickstarter. If you don't know, he made something like $6.7 million from a Kickstarter on a reprint of a book that he'd also sold to traditional publishing because he kept the rights for special editions. So yes, if you're going to license your IP, then make sure you are not ruling out this new ecosystem. And then the third thing is, of course, always consider how to reach readers. And that might have a community aspect or not. And this is where uh, you need to know yourself. Personally, I don't want to run a community. I need my time offline. The more time I spend online and in all of this space, I need more time offline. You might uh, have noticed with me going off for these really long walks. (laughs) So I'm more likely to go with the model of the individual drops per book and perhaps like special audio projects. And I will also definitely be collaborating with others on specific drops around things. So if you have ideas, I'm definitely open to things as these possibilities emerge. So there are many possibilities and it comes down as ever to knowing yourself, knowing your book and your author brand, which is basically your promise to the reader and knowing your reader, then making a choice that suits you. Interesting times indeed. 
So I've got a couple more episodes on NFTs coming up in the next few weeks on the new platforms emerging for the publishing industry and probably more on some different business models. And then, of course, a roundup episode when I am finally ready to drop my own NFT before the end of the year. Please leave a comment or question on the episode show notes and uh, uh, you or you can you can email me joanna at thecreativepen.com. I, I would say tweet me at the creative pen, uh, which you can do. But if it is a long considered comment, then of course, leave a comment or email me. And if you have experience with NFTs, if you are doing cool things, if you are, uh, if you have loads of possibilities that I haven't thought of yet, I would love to hear what business models you are considering, because uh, I think this is so exciting. And in fact, uh, I just I mentioned on the last show, I just got the hardback edition, the KDP print hardback edition of How to Make a Living with Your Writing, the third edition. And that came out earlier this year, so like March 2021. And I was looking at it going, oh, my goodness, I am so excited because I would say I will have to do another edition. And it will probably be in two years time because by uh, so by. 2023, I think we're going to have a much better idea of how this is all going to play out. So yeah, right now it is not a way really to make a living unless you're Beeple, (laughs) who who was that artist who made millions with their first NFT drop. But it's going to become more and more uh, part of a normal author's publishing process to do this kind of digital special edition. Right. So once again, a big thank you to my patrons whose financial support enables me to spend time on these extra in between episodes. And because, I mean, you, you guys have to understand, you know, obviously it all takes a lot of time and the shows that get support from corporate sponsors are the ones that do normal things. <laughs> So these special shows, I'm essentially supported by my my patrons. So if you found this useful and you would like an extra monthly audio Q&A where you get to ask your questions on anything, doesn't have to be on NFTs, it can be on writing or publishing or book marketing, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Or for a one-off donation, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, so back to the usual schedule on Monday when I'm talking about writing and podcasting poetry with Mark McGuinness, who is the host of the 21st Century Creative Podcast and also has a new show, A Mouthful of Air, all about poetry. And we discuss the balance of art and commerce, amongst other things. And hopefully we don't mention NFTs or blockchain at all. (laughs) So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.